All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk, get vaccinated. But, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar 20. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar 20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Welcome to Hello Somebody, a production of the Black Effect Network on iHeartRadio. Before we begin, I got to give a big thanks, a big shout out to the team that makes this show happen every week. Thank you, Grayson Cole for graphics, Pepper Chambers, the hot one for writing, Angelo Greco and Anna Mesa for social media, Tiffany Hale for everything, Erica England for Patreon support, and production by the folks at Large Media. That's L-A-R-J Media. Also, I want to tell you about the special Hello Somebody family over on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com forward slash hello somebody, you can become a member and join us over there for special video content, ask me anything experiences, and all kinds of surprises. All the proceeds go to making this production happen every week, and we would love your support. So come on and join and become a Patreon family member. It's Nina Turner, baby. And I'm so excited that you are here. This week, I want to introduce you to another co-conspirator, Major Danny Shurson. Danny is a veteran, author, speaker, historian, podcaster, and an unapologetically anti-war progressive. We begin our conversation talking about his book, Patriotic Descent. You continue to use your voice. You are an author, right? And you have your book, Patriotic Descent, America in the Age of Endless War. 
it's a short book, 150 pages, more like an extended treatise or essay on what it is to be a patriot and why patriotism does not have to equal, you know, more war, more militarism, more toxic masculinity. There's another path. We need to reframe it. And I think patriotic dissent is long past called for. I'm doing my small bit and that's all we can all do. Yeah. Heyday Books, H-E-Y-D-A-Y. And they, uh, they're a great publisher out in Berkeley doing some good work. Beautiful, beautiful. And then your first book was a memoir. It was about the Iraq War, your experience there. Ghost Riders of Baghdad. What motivated that that title for you? You know, um, my platoon was called the Ghost Riders. We we all have cheeky nicknames, you know, and they're always like tough, you know, and, and people love superhero movies. So my soldiers yeah. are like, you need to be the Ghost Riders. And actually kind of a funny anecdote about that. One of my trucks caught fire by mistake when we were training in the desert before Iraq. And there's fire coming out of the truck and there's smoke coming out. And my soldiers are jumping out of the, the turret, you know. And uh, it looked like the truck was going with like flames behind it. My soldier, Sergeant Ty DeJane, who was later uh, shot in the spine and, and paralyzed. So he was a funny guy. He said, we're the ghost riders because that truck looked like ghost riders, you know, with the fire coming off his motorcycle. Yes. But I wrote it in grad school right before I taught at West Point. You know, it was the first time I really got to take a breather from the army. I had done Iraq. I had just got back from Afghanistan and I wrote an angry essay, an open letter to Lindsey Graham, senator of South Carolina. I was watching C-SPAN because I'm a geek and he was talking about, oh, Obama is the reason we lost the Iraq war. Bush had won it. And I freaked out and I start writing and I'm yelling at the TV. And my wife was like, you need to go upstairs and write about this. I, I can't hear it anymore. Like, I get it. Go write about it. Well, I didn't stop for four months, and so it became sort of a memoir, as well as like a policy analysis of this war, tried to marry the two. It was a tough book to write, super cathartic, and glad I did it. And it started this whole new life of mine. I'm glad you did, too, using your gifts. Is that what rolled you into your progressive, I don't know if the word progressive and veteran goes to together major i mean do you catch flack for that the word progressive and veteran but you have a progressive veterans podcast called fortress on a hill baby you coming up with them names fortress on the hill fortress on a hill is a is a play on the city on a hill you know that reagan talked about that came from like kind of the pilgrims of the puritans america is going to be a city on a hill and our argument of course is we've militarized so much now we we're like a fortress on a hill so yeah, progressives and veterans, those are they seem like a contradiction in terms like, uh, you know, military intelligence, like the joke always goes. But there is a rising tide of progressivism and dissent within the military. It's still in the minority. But I would say that there are indicators like demonstrable indicators, polls and otherwise, that we have more anti-war dissent from within the military and the veterans than we've had since the end of the Vietnam War. And that's that's a reason for hope, if not you know, ideal optimism. When that kind of reimagining comes from veterans themselves, it makes people think a little deeper. They, they they can accept it more coming from somebody who walked that walk than they can just from ordinary do-gooders saying, defund the military. And, and, and defund the military doesn't mean that literally. It's not don't take care of veterans, but it really is about what are our priorities as a nation and can we, should we, I would say we must, and I'm sure you would agree, take that money and repurpose it into on the domestic side of the ledger and we will still be able to fight evil where it lurks. Now, Major, we need to take this walk with you 
because so many people, and especially in our male-dominated society, and I mean that in terms of power, who holds the power, that male energy, that we have been socialized, that you must have the biggest stick at all times, use it at all times. And if you show any mercy, any empathy, if you are smart about how you deal in the world, that somehow makes you weak, that might makes right. Can you walk us through from your experience why that mentality does not make us more safe? That's number one. And number two, you want us to fall prey to nations that might not want to live in peace with us. We need to protect ourselves. We want the discretionary budget, that $1.19 trillion. We're okay with 61% of it uh, going to the military industrial complex because there's evil out there, Major. And shame on you for, for putting us in, in peril like that. I don't understand why you would say that we are less safe. No, we are the safest. What you're saying is is an important point because it's what I face not just in the Twitter sphere, but from my own family, right? There are you know people I love who say that. You know, why have you turned against your country? Don't you want to keep us safe? There's evil in the world. Okay. There are definitely bad actors out there that want to do us harm. But in general, violence begets violence. And that's not touchy-feely, kumbaya, crunchy stuff. That's demonstrable historically and philosophically. So that doesn't mean we don't have a military. It doesn't mean we don't even protect our shores and have potentially like an intelligence presence that, that tries to find these threats. But what we know is that the vast majority of threats to the United States since 9-11 have actually been catalyzed and motivated by these military occupations long-term in these societies. You know, I remember a video that was taken famously by PBS of a, a squad of, of tankers, U.S. Army tankers, 19 to 24 years old, and they're dealing with looting, right? Everyone's talking about looting now, right? Uh, in the streets and they're exaggerating it. But there was some real looting after the society came apart in Baghdad when we invaded and took this country over with no evidence that they were involved in 9-11. Well, these soldiers don't know what to do with looting. So they take this guy who was stealing wood and they crush his car with their tank after they shoot it with their pistols and they say, U.S. Army tankers, that's what you get for looting. And you can YouTube it. I don't even think these are bad guys. What they did was horrible. But they weren't evil people. But I could watch on the video the children sitting on the curb next to their father, who was a cab driver. That was his livelihood. And all I could think is that was 2003. The five-year-old is 22 years old now. And what I'm saying is anecdotally, that creates terror. That creates you know, un-American or anti-American feelings. So I would argue that uh, in many cases, every dollar spent on overseas offensive operations, which is what our military is built for, What no matter whether we call it the Department of Defense, it's the Department of War, Senator, it's the Department of Offense. I think a lot of this kind of is counterproductive and comes home. And the toxic masculinity behind it, which we can get into if you'd like, is dangerous because it infects our society. And it creates a situation, final point, where a Tucker Carlson can attack the patriotism of a Senator Tammy Duckworth who lost both of her legs fighting for our country and saying she's not a patriot because she doesn't agree with me on war. Well, what does he have in his corner? Does he have a whole lot of veteran status and medals and combat experience? No, he's a man, right? He's a white male. And, and, and how dare this person question our country, especially if she happens to be a woman, even if she did lose her legs. 
for our country. That's toxic masculinity, and it's a sort of a sense of a, you know entitlement that goes with it. Yes, and it is injected in our veins, I hate to say it. So we really need a, a paradigm shift about what it means to be safe in this country and also in the world. It is a mentality that we're all socialized with, and some of us evolve. Yeah, it was Muhammad Ali who had a quote, and I'm paraphrasing him because it's not word for word, but he basically said that if at the age of 50, I'm still thinking like a 20-year-old, something is wrong. And so I'm using that to say that we have to evolve collectively as a nation, culturally, to reimagine what safety means. That's safety domestically and also safety abroad. That seems so insurmountable because the American people, for the most part, they don't know that this is happening. They would like to believe, I mean, I would like to believe that we are the moral beacon of the world. But we, as you know, we just had a remembrance for what the 75th year of the bombing of Hiroshima. And I believe I'm right, but you can amen me or steer me in the right direction. But the United States of America is the only nation so far to drop nuclear weapons on another nation. That's right. And that's why history matters. Folks look at that and they make all kinds of excuses for why we had to drop that bomb. More folks were killed in Hiroshima and Nagasaki than probably, I think I'm correct to say, every American war of the 20th century, American troops. And that's obscene because Japan was already defeated. Japan was already isolated. We could have blockaded them. There was a lot of other options. And there were some folks who weren't so pleased about dropping that bomb that a lot of these same war hawks who defend it, they really like these guys. Uh, you've heard of them. Douglas MacArthur, Dwight Eisenhower, Admiral Bull, Admiral Bull Halsey. These are the leaders of World War II who were very skeptical of the need to drop that bomb. And they didn't know it was going to happen, many of them. But once it did, they said, we shouldn't have done this. And oh, by the way, most of the scientists working on the project, even before the drop, wrote an open letter to Truman saying, please don't use this. We yeah. made a mistake by even making this. Uh, so that's important. But, you know, you talk about the budget. You talk about this, you know, 61 percent discretionary spending on an offensive expeditionary military. But again, look at COVID. Look at our response compared to other countries. Does America have to be exceptional in everything? Do we have to lead in everything, even when it's a bad thing? Because we're leading the world. And there have been more COVID deaths also than just about every war. American troops killed in every war of the 20th century as well including the First World War, right? Or every war except for World War II. So this is a massive misdirection of resources. And I really do believe that beyond the profit motive of the oligarchs, because there are folks profiting off of this, but beyond that, it's a culture. It's a culture that gets my dad and everybody else's Uncle Fred to sort of feel like this is what we need to do. They've been programmed to believe that through, I really believe, like a toxically masculine culture and a misunderstanding of the past. So what we need is an education and, like you said, a rewiring collectively of how we view the world, but also how we view society. Because it starts in the family and it starts at home. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. 
Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. AT&T connects an ode to podcast. Connect the alarm, change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work and traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. That's right, Major. And how we view power and the uses of power as well. We got to be reoriented to that. And then the reason why I brought up toxic male masculinity, and certainly women can take that on too. There are many women in the Congress right now who are war hawks, God bless our souls, is because we have all been socialized to believe that might is right and that we have the right because we are the leaders of democracy in the free world, that it is our right to exert our will on other nations to force people to bend to our will. And if they don't, they're undemocratic. It is our, it's manifest destiny major. That's what it is. We have been socializing. So unless you deconstruct your construction, unless you have some type of an epiphany on these matters, it is vitally hard to shake this from the American psyche because I truly believe that if we had a reassessment, a reimagining, a shaking, a, a shift, if you will, that most Americans would not agree with how we fund the war budget right now at the expense of every other great thing that we need, whether it's education or healthcare or infrastructure. And, you know, I, I really got to give a shout out to Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard right here because she has been solid in her critique of interventionalist wars. She has been solid in her critique in helping us to understand that all of that money that is being spent in that way is, is really the destructive force in, in, in this country and in the universe. And that we could take those same monies, our tax dollars, and invest them better domestically and still be safe. I think what we spend more on our military than the next 
how many nations yeah. major? Was it seven? It's at least eight, and five of them are either treaty or unofficial allies. They're allies of ours. So when it's not just that we are spending more, but we're spending more than Russia and China, for example, which are the two that aren't really allies in particular. Sure. And if you add in like the NATO countries and then the Saudi the Saudis, who are like number three in the world, which is obscene, then you know what are we what who are we preparing against? I guess is the question. If I just say one thing about this freedom agenda, right? We go overseas, we, do, we, we kind of are going to bring freedom. What does it say about a country and what does it say about a freedom agenda that by the end of the first year of the post 9-11 attacks, more foreigners, right? Many, many, many of them civilians died as a result of our sort of like vengeance and our foolish occupations or going after countries that weren't all. More people died in that first year than died on 9-11. Since then, by a conservative estimate, American wars directly or indirectly have killed 250 times as many folks as died on 9-11. And 35 times more Yemeni children have starved to death as died on 9-11 as a result of our support for the Saudis. And, and I'm really glad you shouted out Tulsi Gabbard and some other folks who've been really great on Yemen. They're out there. And they're, they're fighting the good fight, but their voices aren't getting past the lobbyists. They're not getting past the establishment of both parties. No, right, of both parties. You're right, which brings up something that I want you to delve into for us recently. The Senate, but I want to focus in on the House of Representatives. A measure was coming through the House to cut the Pentagon budget by just 10%. That's all. Just 10%. So that $750 billion would be, Major, you just laid out for us, or 61% of the discretionary budget asking both houses. But I want to focus in on the House of Representatives because we already know how it's going down in the Senate. Cut it by 10%. This is recent. This is within the last month. I want folks who are taking this journey with us major to understand that we are old enough to remember when this happened because it just happened in the house of representatives that is controlled by democrats that measure failed so your poignant point about both parties and some people say well you know s and I don't know why you're making a whole bunch about this because leader McConnell Mitch McConnell would never let it pass that's not the point democrats pass it and ram it down his throat and then have something to go out into the streets and talk to the people about why we can't have nice things. It's because 61% of it is going to the corporatists in the military industrial complex. That is why use that to get the people riled up. But no, Major. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. The Democrats couldn't even do that. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm over. Maybe I'm, I'm taking this, you know, too far. I think that this is super, super important. Because one thing that you're mentioning is folks will say, oh, we're in Congress. We live in the world as it is. We live in the real world. McConnell wasn't going to push it through anyway, and Trump would have vetoed it. So, you know, why use our political points? Why use our cool points? And you said exactly why. Number one, we sent you there to be principled. Come on. Ain't nobody voted their congressman in on either side of the aisle to say, oh, I want you to go there and play political games. Score some partisan points if you can. No, we sent them there to be our representatives in the people's house, the people's house. And then we go back in the street. And if I'm a congressperson, I'm going to walk out into the street and get a microphone at a protest against whatever, right? Police violence, which is connected and say, look, I fought this. I voted against it. It didn't work. Now we take it to the streets. 
right? Yes. Now we go grassroots, we throw these people out, we do what we have to do. We stop the system, civil rights movement style. That's what has to happen because there's no other alternative. That's because right. a lot of the Democrats who voted against cutting the budget and a lot of the same Democrats who voted against cutting, uh, who, who voted to like cut off the funding to leave Afghanistan, a lot of them are veterans. The Democrats in 2016 went out and purposely tried to recruit veterans so that they could look, you know, kind of tough like the Republicans who yeah. had more. But many of these folks, they get in the system, they get in the machine, and now they're voting, you know, against ending the war in Afghanistan. They're voting against cutting the budget. And I'll tell you, got to call it. I voted for him. I, I like the guy in some ways, but my own congressman, Max Rose, Afghan veteran in Staten Island, has not been great on all these issues. So it's, you know, it's frustrating. And uh, I think it proves that the system really is broken and we will not find salvation from the top down. Great white men are not going to fix anything just like they have in throughout our history, whether it was women's labor or African-American rights. Lord have mercy. You know, you're making me think about a movie, The Matrix. We are in the damn Matrix. Listen, if folks haven't watched The Matrix by now, go ahead and dip on in there and watch it. It is it is quite the lesson, and that's what I feel like. We're just stuck in the matrix. We need people to open their minds and really see and realize the truth and also realize our power. Sometimes we got to look in the mirror. The example you gave about the Yemenese children and the age that they were when that incident that you described, but we can think about all the children all over the country. You know, I had a chance to talk to the leader of Code Pink, which is another wonderful, wonderful organization. And she had a quote behind her that was a quote from the lady that started Mother's Day, but it was really about, I'm not going to send my children to kill another mother's children. That just really stuck with me. It got me emotionally, that thought. Because those Yemenese children could have been our children. They are our children. And we don't really think about it in a very deep way, and especially the leaders who are in charge of acting on our behalf. Because that's what we have to think about, Major. Can you... Take us through that mindset that, that we have leaders in this country who are acting in our name. You know, my grandmother, who was born in 1915, she was very clear with her grandchildren when she said these words, don't mess up my name, my good name. Basically, she said, don't fuck up my good name. The good name that I worked so hard to build. And so I want to juxtaposition that on what the leaders of this country do in our name. And if we as Americans fully understood the damage that they are doing in our name, would that then pierce us to a different level of consciousness? I really think that that's hugely important. We got rid of the draft in 1973, and I'm of two minds about whether it should come back. I think national service of a broader sense is good. But what I do know is this, um, the mothers of America, the fathers of America, the husbands and wives, they don't have to think quite as much any longer about what happens when their son or daughter graduates high school or graduates college. And so it's easy to sort of real think that the wars and the military is an over there thing. Uh, forgetting that, well, there are still, you know, a million or more Americans that are being sent to fight these wars. You know, they're in our military actively. But also that all this is done in their name, and therefore they have a degree of complicity and responsibility. We all do, and I don't omit myself from that. And oh, by the way, I'm not proud of everything I was part of more directly, so I am not omitting myself. But these wars, the civilian deaths in Afghanistan this year, we and the, our allied forces in the Kabul government have been responsible for the deaths of more children than the Taliban. Okay, that 
should not be read to say that I am a fan of the Taliban or that they haven't done right. things. It's to say every one of us, that happened in our name. In a war we know can't be won, that Congress refuses to end because Trump's the one trying to end it. I don't think Trump really wants to end it for the right reasons. He never follows through. The guy's a monster. Yeah. But we shouldn't be contributing as Democrats, as progressives, to keeping this war going. So uh, I think it's very important we understand that. Uh, the power of a mother is a huge thing. My mother is my favorite person. Shout out to Sue in Staten Island, right? But uh, a mother has an enormous amount of power. And the government knew that, which is why during World War I, they sent mothers and grandmothers on these two-minute speaking tours around the country. They would pay them to fuck up the soldiers and tell them, you got to go fight. I'll be proud of you, you know. And it worked. But, you know, we've seen the opposite of that. We've seen the opposite of that that you mentioned, where, where, where also mothers and grandmothers of the, of the country have said, no, 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 don't go kill somebody else. They turned against the Vietnam War, that kind of silent female majority that was important. And so I think that this is an important thing to keep in mind and, and remember that what is done overseas is done in our name. And we have a responsibility to stop it in the streets, just like we do police violence and all these other things. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze, 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower, lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work, in traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Moments like seeing my son's team cheer him on mean a lot to me. But after being diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, or MBC, which is breast cancer that is spread to other parts of the body, they mean even more. I take Ibrance, Palbocyclib. Ibrance 125 milligram tablets with an aromatase inhibitor is for adults with HR-positive HER2-negative NBC as the first hormonal-based therapy. Ask your doctor about Ibrance and visit Ibrance.com. Ibrance may cause low white blood cell counts that may lead to serious infections. Ibrance may cause severe inflammation of the lungs. Both of these can lead to death. Tell your doctor right away if you have new or worsening symptoms, including trouble breathing, shortness of breath, cough, or chest pain. Before taking Ibrance, tell your doctor if you have fever, chills, or other signs of infection, liver or kidney problems, are or plan to become pregnant, or are breastfeeding. Common side effects include low red blood cell and low platelet counts, infections, tiredness, nausea, sore mouth, abnormalities in liver blood tests, diarrhea, hair thinning or loss, vomiting, rash, and loss of appetite. That's right. Let's understand what is done in our name. That preaches, Major. So, you wrote two columns, and one was on Congress's decision to cut the funding needed to end the Afghanistan war. I think the title, I don't know if I have that one right, but I was wrong. Congress isn't cowardly. It's evil. I mean, you're speaking a whole level, another level of truth. Man, you sound, oh, Lord, don't even get me started. That's the kind of truth I like to speak. Sometimes I can be a little bit indulgent in my columns. It's like a stand-up comedian gets on the stage 
And you're watching therapy, not just work. And some of my appearances and columns are like that. But I'm tired of hedging. I'm tired of being polite. The time for that has passed 20 years into a war that, you know, killed people I loved as well as overseas foreigners. And so when Congress says, I'm going to cut the funds, not for the war, which they should have done 15 years ago, and they have been given the constitutional power, only them, to do. They've never once cut off the funding for wars, even illegal wars like the Iraq War that were built on false premises, right? No WMD, no Al-Qaeda connection. But when Trump says, I want to cut the troops in Afghanistan, they say, bipartisan, Liz Cheney and Jason Crow, right? A Democrat and the, the daughter of the ultimate neocon getting together to keep the war going. They said, we're going to cut the funding that it costs to bring people home because everything costs money in the military. Bringing 4,000 soldiers home on a plane costs a few million dollars, maybe a billion dollars. Who knows? They said, we won't fund that. Now, we'll continue to fund the bombs that killed those kids that I mentioned, but we're not going to fund that. So when I hear that, I feel a obligation. It would be obscene not to say Congress isn't just cowardly for not ending the wars. It's now evil collectively for maintaining them and cutting the funds needed to stop them. That is an inversion. We are through the looking glass, Alice. I'm with you, Major. It is time out for foolishness and playing games with these people. We need public servants, and we need them like yesterday. We need people who care more about the next generation. It was a quote by somebody, so I won't take credit for it, but care more about the next generation than they care about the next election, and we really don't have, by and large, there are a few folks who do subscribe to that on all levels of government, but in mass, we don't have it. The system is fully controlled by corporatist interests in both parties. And it is so important that the American people understand that. I am tired of talking through the lens of who's a Republican, who's a Democrat. I want to know who's going to do the right damn thing. That's that's the only lens I want to operate from, Major. I'm I'm really over it. You know, I had a, a, a boss of mine who used to always tell his cabinet, if your hair is on fire, act like your hair is on fire. And you know what, Major? My hair is on fire, and it's on fire more often these days. I must confess it really is. And in your other recent column, walking us through the Civil War and George Floyd and your vantage point, how you see what is happening domestically and that nexus between the militarization of the police. That article is hard to write. It was a pretty long analytical piece trying to argue that while I'm not saying there'll definitely be an outright civil war in America, uh, the historian in me, combined with the person who, you know what, spent a whole lot of time in these streets across a couple of cities, tells me that uh, there is real kindling for fire in our country. Um, when you have an economy that kind of collapses, a pandemic, you've got the racial injustice that's systemic, and you've got a small number of agitators, uh, mostly if we're fair, if we're being honest, mostly on the right. We're talking Proud Boys, you know, we're, we're talking Boogaloo. It doesn't take a lot of people we know historically to turn a revolution violent, to turn a society that's collapsing into uh, you know a, a chaotic situation. And I saw it in Baghdad. When Baghdad collapsed into civil war in 2006 and seven, uh, and I was picking up bodies on soccer fields in the morning of teenagers executed the night before, what I learned is that uh, the veneer of civilization is rather thin. If you shut the power off or you uh, break the economy, you take away stability, things can fall apart rather quickly, right? Like that great novel, things can fall apart. And I'm just bring, I'm bringing up some of the issues that are there. And I'm going to throw just one of the points I raised out there because I think it's going to get people fired up. But it's important. 
guns. That's the American variable. That's the exceptionalist American variable. We have a people who are numerous and divided and struggling economically, and they are armed. They are armed at a rate that is historically incomparable, and that scares me. Gun sales are up. Of course, and it's a catalyst. I mean, it is the ultimate accelerant. You are squeezing the kerosene on an already lit fire. It's very dangerous, and it causes an arms race with the police, and so there's a whole problem with that. You know, the great A. Philip Randolph once said, make wars unprofitable, and you will make them impossible. That really is kind of how we started this conversation and talking about the amounts of our money, what is done in our name. And there's a profit motive behind war making. You said A. Philip Randolph, which made me think of another Randolph, first name Randolph Bourne, intellectual who opposed the First World War, who said war is the health of the state. And what he meant was it's the health of the powerful. War increases the power of the elites. And we're seeing that today. Yes, we are all over the world. And so the whole notion that we, the people of the United States of America, got to get it together and then care about what is happening to our sisters and brothers in other countries. Because as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, what happens to one directly happens to us all indirectly, that we are connected. And that is even truer today than it was when he said it because we have certain technologies in the 21st century that were not available in the 20th century the world is a lot smaller but man, i cannot leave when you the, the the fact that what really stopped me in my tracks is when you said the veneer and this whole conversation baby today has been lit the veneer of civilization is thin it is i mean we have seen it time and again I'm not saying this is going to happen here, but it's important to remember that fascism rose, Nazism rose in the most sophisticated society, one could argue, within Europe, in the arts, in philosophy, in science. That's society. Not some, you know, place in Africa that everyone assumes is chaotic. No, no, it's there that it rose. The stereotype major about Africa. The stereotype of the dark continent, right? The Europeans said back then, that's not where Hitler came from. He came from Germany. He came from the land of, you know, supposedly, right? I mean, it, it's always been overblown of science and philosophy. The point is that, you know, the politeness is a veneer and societies come apart rather quickly. And uh, civil war rises sometimes in places we least expect it. I'm glad it happened in a way, but I had the uh, sort of displeasure of seeing a society come apart in Baghdad and seeing how bad policy whether it be war policy or domestic policy, can really catalyze it. And uh, the outcome is always dead civilians. It's always dead teenagers. It's always babies killed by accident. And, uh, and I agree with you. We are all connected. And, uh, and I, spiritually, I believe that, right, outside of any religion. We are all one and the same, and there's an energy between us. And, and I am kin with refugees and we Yemeni children as much as I am with my own family and children. And, and I think that we all have to understand that. And oh, by the way, we're all in this together. And climate change is proof. Climate change is proof. We're going to make it or we're not, but we're going to do it together. We're not going to be able to go behind our gated communities this time. 
That's it. Amen to that. All other things that we care about must start with the environment and with climate. So when you said that you are one of those people, we are of each other. We are akin in the spiritual realm. It reminds me of brother Eugene Debs when he said, while there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. And while there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Baby, while they're still making war powers all over this world, we are of that. It is happening in our name with our money, and we need to get a clue. Major, you taught at West Point. Woo! What did you teach, and why did you teach? Hello, teachers. It was the pleasure of my professional life. Uh, I taught American history to freshman cadets. Plebes, we call them. You know, I taught Jamestown to Obama. I was, I was off the reservation a little bit. For a little. Major, we cannot say off the reservation. It's politically incorrect. Because you know what? This country put our indigenous sisters and brothers, took their land, and then put them on reservations. And then we got the nerve to come up with a saying off the reservation. You're completely right. And, and I, I caught it right away. And what's interesting about it is I spent so much time teaching about that system of concentration. But my point is that our, our syllabus started with the settlement of Englishmen at Jamestown. I worked really hard to try to say, you know, there was a world in North and South America before that. But uh, yeah, I taught American history, the whole span essentially to freshmen. What's interesting about that is they're practitioners of history. I mean, we all are. To put it in perspective, they're all in the army now as lieutenants. And one of them texts me regularly from Afghanistan. So it's very real, and I feel like teaching them was, it's always important in any college, but it had a urgency to it. I was speaking truth. Everything that I taught in that classroom is, is within the broader consensus of the university system and scholarship. And uh, I think that if we don't know our history, then we Do are doomed. Major, you, you stealth like that, though. That's what make, makes you a good military man. See, they put you in the classroom, you was all stealth-like. Yes. Woo. So we have... Walked around this block several times from our discussions about the military industrial complex to really going deeper about male toxicness. We talked about the Congress and its obligation. We talked about the oneness that we have with our sisters and brothers all around the world. Major, what can you say to us to get us to understand and to care? What action, what action can everyday people take? You know, there are people in communities all over this country who will say to you, I'm just one person. Thank you for this information, but I'm just one person. What can I do to be the change? That is the hardest question out there. And my, my answers always feel paltry and insufficient. But I'll say, if we think about the 10 minutes we spend doing all kinds of things, 10 minutes of, of reading and self-education about these foreign policy issues, how they tie to what we're doing today, and then just injecting them into the way you vote and the issues you stand in the street about and connecting them. 10 minutes a day from 300 million people is an enormous amount of time. And you know what? A lot of us spend that looking at our old girlfriends and boyfriends on Facebook, right? And you know, you, you take that time and you educate and you get in those streets and you hold people accountable. You hold people accountable. You say, how did you vote? But I think it's important to have an ideological shift, a philosophical one, which is this. I want to keep America safe. My mother has COPD and she lives in a small apartment in Staten Island. Uh, the biggest threat to my mother's safety right now is the COVID virus. 
And the spending on the military in these aggressive wars that were largely unnecessary has taken money, right, has taken focus off the things that could save her. So what is national security? And I want to reframe that entire term. And that's why I think that we all need to spend that 10 minutes and get in them streets. Do what you can. If you can't be in the streets, do it over Zoom, right? We, this is a new world. Do something. 10 minutes a day. Ooh, amen. Do something, baby. Get in those streets. Understand what is done in our name. Hello Somebody is a production of iHeartRadio and the Black Effect Network. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Oh, take four on <laughs> the damn introduction. Seven, eight, nine, ten thousand takes. I assure you I have not been drinking. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Got my Prevnar 20 shot. It's a pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. For us, wise folks, it helps protect. I'm 19, strong. And asthmatic and at higher risk. Get vaccinated, but, but nothing when grandma speaks. Grandson listens. 19 or older with chronic conditions like asthma, diabetes, or chronic heart disease, or 65 plus, you may be at higher risk for pneumococcal pneumonia. Prevnar 20 can help protect you with just one dose. Prevnar 20 is approved for adults to help prevent infections from 20 strains of the bacteria that cause pneumococcal pneumonia. Continued approval may depend on a supportive study. Don't get Prevnar 20 if you've had a severe allergic reaction to the vaccine or its ingredients. Adults with weakened immune systems may have a lower response to the vaccine. Side effects include pain and swelling at the injection site, fatigue, headache, muscle, and joint pain. For full prescribing information, please call 1-855-213-2138 or visit Prevnar20.com. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about getting vaccinated with Prevnar20, even if you've already received another pneumococcal pneumonia vaccine. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 